Amen. If you are um, if you are a guest again, thank you for coming. That song right there is our theme song. Um, so that is, yeah. And um, so for the rest of your day today, you will find yourself one church. Say you'll sing that. You'll sing that for 24 hours. I promise you, because uh, we all go home saying it almost every week. <laughs> Amen. How you guys doing? Y'all good? Y'all good? Everybody's hair straight. You know, I know it's rainy and stuff. And in Louisville, we act like when weather comes, it's a national disaster. And um, so everybody's safe. Did you have to swim to get in? No? All right. All right. Oh, good. Glad you all made it. And, um, and we are rounding to a close with this series that we've been in on fruit. And uh, as we've been breaking down the fruit of the spirit, and uh, it's been, have you guys enjoyed the series? By the way, amen, amen, all right, well, cool, glad you have, and, uh, and I know that uh, Matt and I certainly have, as we, uh, in our study and preparation, uh, learned a lot about the fruit, and so uh, let us dive in, and so uh, let us read together uh, kind of the thematic verse for the series, um, which comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, um, so come on, let's read together, one, two, ready, go, but the fruit... Amen. Pray with me. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart may be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are strength and our redeemer. Lord, may this time of sharing from your word, may it be fruitful. May the people hear from you that all of us, both speaker and hearer, leave here today changed. This is our prayer. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 During his term as president, uh, President Lyndon B. Johnson uh, was somewhat overweight. And um, in language that only a wife can share with her husband, she says this line to him. You can't run the country if you can't run yourself. And uh, President Johnson adhered to the advice of his wife and soon thereafter lost about 23 pounds. Amen. My wife says stuff like that to me, it doesn't come across so nicely. (laughs) When it comes to self-control, as we dive in for this final of the series, The fruit of the spirit, it's kind of unique. You know, we've talked about the traits and how they all work together, that it's not fruits. They're not individual fruits. It's not like love is a banana and patience is an apple. No, they're all together. You can't have one and not have the other. They all work in tandem together. I'll say something about two of the fruit or two of the traits specifically. Uh, When you talk about love, uh, which we dealt with the first week and today as we close out with self-control, I'd say that, you know, when it comes to those two traits, love would be like, it'd be like the why. It's, it's, it's the why that we do things. And so you can't talk about the fruit of the spirit and how things are interconnected if you can't say or understand that love is like the motivation beyond our why we do what we do. We, 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 because we love and because we are loved, the rest of the traits kind of flow out of that or come from that. And if love is like the motivation, if it is the why, then I'd say that self-control is kind of like the motor. 
Love, love is the motivation. Self-control is kind of like the motor. It's the engine behind it. It is, it is with self-control. Because I love, my motivation, the motor, the motor then is because I have control of myself in this world, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be gentle with people. I'll be patient. I'll be kind. I'll be faithful. I'll, I'll, I'll have goodness flowing from my body. And today, in order to see what this looks like, let's, let's look at the master himself as he teaches us and shares with us what self-control looks like. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to the gospel according to Luke uh, chapter 4. We'll just be reading for the first 13 verses uh, from the New International Version. And a very familiar passage of scripture that we'll kind of unpack today. Um, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. And as always, it's available for you on the screen. And listen to what it says. Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Verse 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 5, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Amen. This is like a dramatic scene if there's ever been one. To kind of bring you up to speed of what's taking place, just Chapter 3, right before this, Jesus had been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, in the Jordan. You remember that? You remember how beautiful it was as John baptized Jesus, the heavens parted, and God himself spoke from heaven, and he said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Beautiful scene, man. Jesus immediately needs, uh, leaves that place, and now we find him in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, the Lord of lords. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, encounters the adversary himself face to face with, I mean, you couldn't, Hollywood can do this well enough. Jesus and the adversary are now face to face. They are close and they are having an altercation like this is awesome to me, right? The Bible tells us that during this time he was led by the spirit and he meets the enemy and the enemy begins to tempt him. Now, in this, what you'll see is a glimpse into the ways in which the enemy typically uh, tries to lead us and tempt us. And then Jesus kind of models for us how do we resist the temptation or the tricks of the enemy. Can I run down just these three quick things for you, then I'll show you what this looks like for us? There, there are three ways, typically, it's not complex, in which the enemy always tries to tempt us. Any way that you are tempted, it can fall under one of these categories. The first one, i like y'all to talk. Can we talk today? It's, it's, it's rainy, so I know y'all, Don will be sleeping a couple of minutes or so. I got I to gotta, I gotta have y'all talk to me to keep him up, all right? All right. The first one is the lust of the flesh. Say the lust of the flesh. All right, so keep this in mind that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, which means that he is hungry. 
And the devil knows this, and the devil approaches him in his hungered state, and the first thing that he says to him is, hey, listen, you've been hungry, it's been 40 days, how about you take one of these stones and you turn them into bread? Now, what some people argue is the temptation here or the challenge to Jesus is that Satan is challenging his authority as the son of God. That's not the case. That's why Jesus didn't even entertain that if you are the son of God, which the enemy said two times in this passage. The challenge is as to whether or not in his weakened state will Jesus use the power that was given to him not for self-gratification. Basically answering the question, just because you have power enough to do something, that does not mean that you should. Jesus' power was not given him to gratify his own flesh. That's why he teaches the disciples a little later on that I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And so the challenge of the enemy here is as to whether or not he will use his power for self-gratification. That's the lust of the flesh. We'll dig in in just a minute. Say lust of the flesh. The second thing, then, is the lust of the eyes. Say, lust of the eyes. What the devil does now is he takes him to a high place and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says to Jesus, check this out. If you bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. Now, here's the thing. You can't argue one thing that the enemy says here. He says, it's been given to me. It's mine, and I have the authority to give it away. That's true. Paul talks about it a little bit later. He refers to the devil as the prince of the power of the air. He has control of many of the things in our world today. That is a truth. That's a reality. Here's the second truth in this narrative, though. The enemy has the truth. He has authority, but it will be Jesus' real soon. So here's the, here's the temptation. The devil is... He knows the plan. He knows God's plan. He's asking Jesus, how about you bypass the trouble that you're going to have to go through in order to take authority because I can give it to you now. The lust of the eyes will do that to you, won't it? Yeah. How about you cheat? How about you bypass the necessary struggles and trials of things that you know that you can get? I can get it if I do steps one, two, and three. But what the enemy does is he says, you know what? You ain't even got to do that. I tell you what, you claim a couple of extra kids. I know that's nobody in, in, in here today. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody. We're good, wholesome Christians here. Jesus responds to, to, to the enemy. He says, listen, you should worship the Lord your God yourself and him alone. Lust of the eyes. Say lust of the eyes. The third one is the pride of life. Say the pride of life. For this final temptation, here's what the enemy does. He takes Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down and check out how crafty he is. For the Bible says that he will command his angels concerning you and they will guard you up in all of your ways so that your feet will not even strike against the stone. Man, the enemy is so crafty, he'll take the very scriptures that you read and he'll flip them on his head to make you think that it's okay for you to do something. Check this out, check this out. What he's challenging, again, he says, if you are the son of God, he's not challenging Jesus' authority or personality as the son of God. Jesus is that. He's wondering if Jesus is tempted towards grandeur. Because if he was to throw himself down on the temple, which was a heavily populated, it would be the equivalent of asking Jesus, how about this? Uh, if we were talking about here, we'd say, listen, throw yourself down from the PNC Tower. 
at lunchtime so that all the people would see you and they see the angels come for you like, oh, man, that Jesus is great. The pride of life, the pride of life, the challenge to us as humanity is this. Is the limit or the value, rather, of who you are limited to how many followers you have on social media? How many, how many likes you get when somebody launches a, are, are, do, is, is who you are, is, is it married to what people think about you? And so what the enemy is challenging Jesus, yeah, you say you're the son of God, but really, here's what I believe. I bet that you could do that and then people would see that you're just full of yourself. Jesus says, the lights are out. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He responds, and he says to the devil, I lost my place because of that. Thank you. All right, all right, let's go. All right, he asked Jesus, that thou should not put the Lord your God to the test. There we go. So those are the three tests, right? The, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Anything that you experience in life in regards to temptation, you can put them under those three categories. I guarantee you the enemy's plans and tricks have not changed at all. They're all the same. Here's what I'm not trying to teach you today. I'm not trying to teach you that when you come upon one of those temptations, if you simply quote a scripture like Jesus, everything would be okay. Uh, because we've tried it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not about just quoting scriptures. I mean, as we see, the enemy quoted a scripture when trying to trick Jesus. It's not just that simple. But if you really want to know how Jesus was able to have control, self-control from this temptation, you got to go back up to verse 1. And in verse 1, this is what you'll see. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's it. How did Jesus withstand the temptations of the enemy? Verse 1, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus resist the temptations, the lust of the flesh? Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit. The lust of the eyes, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. The, of the pride of life, Jesus was filled with the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit. And take note that when it's talking about him being full of the Holy Spirit, if you're wondering what that looks like, it's basically saying to us that Jesus was fully complete. He was complete. What happens with temptation, when the enemy brings these things to us, is he hits an area where we feel incomplete. Where there's a void in our lives, then he'll come and he'll say, man, you've got some financial void in your life. Then how about I come with the pride of life or the lust of the eyes and I'll put these things in front of you because I need to help you to fill that void. And what happens is in, an, in a desperate moment, we try to fill that void with whatever the temptation the enemy gives to us. If you are lonely and you are looking for a relationship, the lust of the flesh, the enemy will say, in order to get so, here's, here's kind of what you do in order to fill that boy. So in these categories, the lust of the flesh, if you are not full of the Holy Spirit, if you're not completely satisfied, then you'll try to fill that void with alcohol, drugs, or anything else to kind of self-medicate, right? Or, or the easy and low-hanging fruit with sex. Yeah, now let me pause for a moment and say this. Sex is not a bad thing. 
That's why we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> Some of y'all a little slow. <laughs> but whenever sex becomes a means by which you define yourself and you try to fill the void of loneliness and love in your heart and in your life, then that sex, drugs, or whatever else it may be, becomes a godlike substance that can never, and so you just keep trying over and over again, and you experience more loneliness and pain and shame as a result of it. Or, or if you're talking about the lust of the eyes, when you're not completely filled and satisfied, now the grass looks greener on the other side, right? Yeah, it, man, if I had it like brother or sister such and such, man, my neighbors, man, they just got it going on. Man, you don't know what's got, they got going on in their life, how much debt, how much pain and sorrow. But if I cut a couple of corners, I can have it going on like the Joneses. Y'all know the Joneses? My mom and them used to talk about the Joneses. I, I've never met them. I just heard about them. The, jo the Joneses got it going on. They got it going on. Or, or see the pride of life when you are not filled and you begin to measure your worth and value based upon how and what people think about you, you will experience not the pride of life, you will experience the shame of life. Because humanity, people will always let you down because people will fail you. They are fickle. They are not as faithful as you hope that they will be. That's why, that's why. Can I tell you what my grandmama used to sing? My grandma used to say, man, I've been lied on. I've been cheated. I've been talked about, I've been mistreated, I've been buked, I've been scorned, talked about, sure as you're born. I've been up, I've been down, almost level to the ground. But she say this, as long as I've got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. Man, when you, when you put these things in process, you try to make these things to be your God, you'll always be let down. But those of us, brothers and sisters... If we are filled and led by the Holy Spirit, let me show you real quickly and we go home what that life looks like. When you are focused on him and when you face temptation, when you're filled, you have no room for it. No room. I'm so full, I can't even get it in. There's no room for it. Now, this, because I know how we are and where we are, some of you begin to question do I even have the Holy Spirit? Uh, we've been having this argument for years, and I don't have a whole lot of time to unpack that, but I'm just going to tell you with an emphatic yes. Yes, you do. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. It is not something that you contract. Yeah, it, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't turn around, stomp your feet, and he comes upon you. He was given to you, promised to you, not based upon any other thing that because you are my followers, the Holy Spirit will be with you. Now, I understand the next question was, if I have him, how do I get filled with him? I get it, I get it. I, I, listen, I grew up charismatic. Y'all don't know nothing about that, man. I grew up, man, Baptocostal. And in order to get filled with the Holy Spirit, there are some things you have to speak in tongues. Now, I remember going to old church service, man, and no lie, this is what they tell you to do. The old deacon stand in front of you, man, and he says, brother, you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? This happened to me. He says, you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, yes, sir. He says, boy, look at me. I looked at him. He says, you see my tie? I said, yeah. He says, see my tie. I said, sir, I see your tie. He says, say, see my tie. And I looked at him. I said, see my tie. He said, well, keep saying it. I said, see my tie, see my tie, see my tie, see my tie. He said, okay, okay. Now, now say this. Say, tie my tie. I said, tie my tie. He says, boy, keep saying it. Tie my tie, tie my tie, tie my tie, tie my tie. He says, boy, now say, untie my tie. I said, untie my tie. Keep saying it. Untie my tie, untie my tie, untie my tie. 
He says, now say, loose my tie. I said, loose my tie. He says, boy, keep saying it. I said, loose my tie. He said, now put them all together. See my tie, tie my tie, tie my tie, loose my tie. See my tie, tie my tie, tie my tie, loose my tie. No lie. And what would happen is after so long, you get this thing, they call it stammering tongues. And so after you keep going, you go, they say, oh, the spirit done hit him. He's, he's, he's filled right there. And then they come through, man, and they boom, lay hands on you. You be laid out. Nothing happened other than it hurt. It hurt real bad. And uh, um, yeah, that's not being filled with the spirit, okay? Okay, now, now in all transparency, let me tell you this. I believe in the gifts of the tongues, biblically. I believe that God gives people power to interpret and to speak another. I believe it. I'm telling you, I believe 100% of what Scripture says. I do. I do. Um, but when we're talking about filled with the Spirit, what Jesus is speaking about right here, what we're studying today is simply this. I don't have to say anything. I just have to take him in. And the more that I take him in the more filled that I get. For instance, let me make it plain, because it's, it's, what happens is we overcomplicate things. We make things to be too deep. Uh, to get full, you just take it in. Okay, okay. All right, um, uh, Joshua Rodenbaugh. Uh, let me use him as a... As a we, we, we were on a trip out of town, and uh, he told us a story over dinner about when him and his wife first got married, they went to a restaurant with all-you-can-eat ribs. And he, he has a rib addiction. Never feed him ribs, okay? Uh, he ate so many ribs that he almost got sick and had hunger pains. I mean, he was hurting from me. His wife is still mad at him because of it. He, he was full of ribs. How did he become full of ribs? You just eat a bunch of ribs, right? It's not rocket science. Um, that didn't make sense. Okay, um, it's amazing the things that you discover. I remember the older that you get when you're out of school. Um, and I remember as a kid, they said... The body is roughly about 75% water, right? So here's what I discovered about myself. I'm not fat, I'm just flooded. <laughs> Seriously. I got a whole lot of water, because I take it in. I take it in, it doesn't come out. Take it in. Baby, that's truth, right? Yep, all right, all right. Um, I, I've, I've got a buddy who has his doctor of ministry degree and he's currently finishing his PhD. He's filled with knowledge. Smartest guy I've ever met in my life because he just takes more and more in. And as it relates to being filled with the spirit, it's not rocket science. Don't no prophet have to come to lay hands on you. Don't nobody have to say something to you. You ain't got to listen to a bunch of televangelists tell you what to do. You just take in more of him and less of whatever else is keeping you from him. That's how you be filled with the Spirit. Scripture talks about it so much. It says, listen, pray without ceasing. Study, your sh study to show yourself approved. Work your own salvation out. Those things are not tools to save you. Those are tools to strengthen you, to fill you, so that when the enemy comes, you can say, not just quoting scripture that I will not bow down to you, that I will serve the Lord God alone, that man should not live by bread alone. You'll say it, you'll mean it because you can't take nothing else in when you're filled. Not only, not only was Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, but he was led by the Holy Spirit. Now check this out. He was filled, which means that he was completely satisfied. Secondly, the satisfied Savior then 
he is led to encounter the enemy. So here's where this has been taught wrong over the years. What we've been taught is that Jesus was weak. And in his weakened state, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy tried to come and take advantage of his weakness. But I challenge you to show me anywhere biblically where it says that Jesus was weak. I say the other way. I say that the perfectly filled and satisfied Savior encountered the enemy on his own. He went looking for the battle. Thank you. He went looking for the battle, which is specifically and exactly what the scripture is talking about. That he went there. He was led by the Spirit to encounter the enemy. That's what it tells us. He was led to encounter the enemy. This idea of him being weak and the enemy coming at him is along the same lines of the hippie Jesus. And uh, Matt and I have been trying to do a good job over the last year and a half of trying to explain that hippie Jesus doesn't exist. That's a caricature that we need to let go of. That our Jesus is strong. And the strong Jesus, although he had fasted for 40 days and night, in his strength, filled with the Spirit, was led to engage the enemy. He took the battle to him. Now, this isn't uncommon in Scripture. You think this is the only time? Read a little bit further and what you'll discover is this. You'll discover Jesus sitting around with all of his boys. They have a conversation. Jesus says, whom do man say that I am? They say, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist or one of the prophets. He says, well, who do you say that I am? For Peter speaks up and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responds, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood, did not reveal this to you but the Holy Spirit. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell, listen to this, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell are not there to keep hell in. It's there to keep the church out. So what Jesus is saying is based upon Peter's testimony, hell becomes paranoid and petrified because the gospel is advancing. And so hell puts up gates. He didn't say the church puts up gates. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against it because there is strength within the gospel of Jesus Christ that the enemy is fearful of it. That's why we've got to share the gospel. That's why you've got to meet your neighbors. That's why you've got to talk about him on your job at school. That's why because the gates of hell are fearful of people when they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I got a buddy just bought a house, man. He's excited about him and his family. He says, I only have one problem. I said, what's that? He says, uh, my neighbor has a boat in his yard. I said, well, maybe he likes to sail. He says, no, the boat doesn't work. I said, oh, that's interesting. And he has turned it into a garden. So that's weird. He says, I know. I says, well, are you going to confront your new neighbor about his boat garden? He says, no, I'm going to build a gate so I don't have to deal with it. And in the same sense, what the enemy does, he builds gates so they don't have to deal with us. They create laws so they don't have to deal with us. They create issues to not deal with us. The media comes up so they don't have to deal with it. And whenever we believe those things, before we believe the gospel, we begin to loosen the power and the grip and the power of the gospel on the planet. The enemy has put up gates. This weakened character of Jesus does not exist. He is a strong, a powerful one. I love Jesus in Revelation. Jesus in Revelation is tatted up. Man, he comes up with fire in his eyes. Man, he's got long hair. He's a strong God. He's so 
so strong that he hung on Calvary's cross and he bore the sins of all of humanity from beginning to end. He's our strong God. I make that point to tell you this. If you are going into the battle against temptation and you are playing defense, baby, you're playing the wrong game. We don't face temptation on the defensive. We face it on the offensive. Because when you are filled with the Spirit, you are led by the Spirit of God. It does not matter what the enemy throws at you. You are strong enough, not by your own might, but by the might of God himself to withstand what you're about to face. How did Jesus endure it? Man, he did it because he was filled with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And when we do that, Man, we can control ourselves, self-control, resist temptation. In fact, man, that applies. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, man, I believe that you can love a little better, right? Yeah, when you are filled with the fruit of the Spirit, I think you can exhibit a little bit more joy, right? Because joy isn't based upon what we're experiencing in the world. It's based upon the Lord inside of our hearts. When you have the Spirit in your life, man, you've got patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and goodness and self-control when the fruit of the Spirit is inside of your heart and in your life because you are Spirit-filled. Jesus was equipped, right? And because he was equipped... He was able to withstand all the wiles, all the tricks of the enemy. And it didn't win against him. I imagine Jeremiah felt this way. As he was stranded, still in Jerusalem, as the exiles were taken away, suffering under the oppression of the Babylonians. And Jeremiah, in that oppressed state, looked out at all the people, and he says, it is because of the Lord's tender mercies that we are not consumed. For his compassions fail us not, they are new every morning. Great Lord is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, and I will wait for him. Man, that is a posture and a prayer that we all need to have. Understand that we are not consumed because of the Lord's tender mercies. His faithfulness is great and he will be with us for always. Man, methinks me here, David say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me to still waters for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And you prepare, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Lord, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If we are filled, I have no room for it. We are led. We're not on our heels. We're on the offensive. Yes. We can experience all that he has for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, for our guests, man, every Sunday we, we, we pause for a moment to remember what he's done for us. And uh, we do it a little differently here. We don't, we don't pass the, uh, the, the plates, um, but we, we like to collide. We converge at the tables in the rear. 
and we remember the promise of Jesus Christ that came through his body that was broken. That's what the bread represents. And if you're gluten-free, we've got gluten-free Jesus back there for you. <laughs> his broken body and his blood that was shed so that you and I might have life. So I'm going to say a prayer and then collectively don't, don't wait nor don't worry about who's behind you or beside you. This moment is both communal and it's both individual. We remember together and we remember individually what that sacrifice meant to all of us. So let us pray and then let us meet at the table. Eternal God, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that leads and guides and feels. Feel all of us, Lord, that we can withstand the temptations and trials of the enemy. God, we thank you for your sacrifice that was made that we might have life. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Come now, let's meet at the table. We love you.